If you'll all uh, turn to your Bibles, if you care to follow along with our scripture reading this morning, we're in book of Matthew, 11th chapter, verses 2 through 19. On, in your books in the pews, you'll find it page 1018. If you have a large print Bible, that's 1512. Uh, for those who are visiting this morning, if you would care to fill out the Connect card and turn it in with the offering later, uh, we'd appreciate that so we'll have your information. Uh, we are glad to have Patrice back. I think she went out with the, the young people. Matthew eleven two through 19. When John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? <laughs> no, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Well, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. Oh, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But... Wisdom is proved right by her actions. 
May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In a time where kings and rulers were ruthlessly vying for dominance, and the common man was oppressed by the thumb of Rome, a disunified Israel held on to hope for their promised Messiah to rescue them. However, no one knew what to expect. Some expected a warrior who would crush his enemies with the sword. Some expected a king who would establish a government over all. Who came? No one expected. Born a carpenter's son, this man was humble yet authoritative, unpredictable yet reliable, compassionate yet bold. The Messiah's entrance was not a warrior campaign which forced submission. It was an invasion beginning in the hearts and the lives of those he encountered. This is the story of the true Messiah emerging amidst the pretenders. This is the story of Jesus turning the world on its head. This is the story of the King and his kingdom. All right. The King and his kingdom, our series continues. A couple weeks back, we had our Faith Promise Convention, and uh, I was actually wanting to kind of use them as an illustration for you today, so I'm going to share a a card that we got recently from uh, Sherman and Kay Kreitzer, who were our guests that weekend, and they just wanted to thank us for um, the love of God that we extended to them that past weekend at the Faith Promise event. They said, it was our joy to be a part of all that was planned to lift up the commission that Christ Jesus gave his disciples and to all who believe because of their preaching from generation to generation. God is faithful and he keeps all his promises. Blessings from Sherman and Kay Kreitzer. If you were here that weekend, you may have picked up on the fact that the Kreitzers were missionaries to Africa for over 30 years and they're not serving there anymore, but I was, as I was thinking about today's message about an upside down kingdom and, and all that we're going to talk about, I thought, you know, I bet when they showed up in Africa, in that different kingdom, if you will, than what they were used to, that they probably kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, not just because they're white, <laughs> but because uh, especially in South Africa, that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But no matter where they went there, I bet that they did, even though they probably bought African clothes and ate African food and exchanged currencies so that they had African currency and learned the languages and all that. I bet at first they still did because they were just American. I mean, there's just we, we look at things different than people in other countries do in other parts of the world. We, we think different. We have different values But, you know, it was interesting. They said something to us uh, that by the time they came back here now, they felt out of place here because they had spent so long there. And by the end of the time, they didn't stick out so much, you know, after 30 some odd years of being there. They had, in a sense, kind of become African in a way. They had adopted so much of the that culture. And the same is true for us today. You know, I mean, if you um, 
if you move to a new kingdom or if someone moved here from somewhere very different, you know, you could, they could exchange currency for American currency. They could learn our language. They could start buying clothes that look like us. But until, you know, and that's why in the immigration process they used to, I don't know if they still do, uh, at least in some cases I think they do, you eventually had to take a test. And, the, and kind of the purpose of the test, though I'm sure it was imperfect, was just to kind of see if you, if you got it, you know, were you immersed in American culture to the point where you kind of understood how we tick and click and all that. So, I mean, you can, you can learn the language, you can dress the, in the styles of the day, you can do all that, but you're, you'd still be no more American than uh, putting lipstick on a pig would make it a princess. Isn't that a nice picture? And the same, I would say, is true of Christianity. You know, you can buy the clothes, you can show up at the right service times, you can talk the right talk, you can give, you can do all the stuff, you can go to Sunday school, uh, but all those things don't make you Christian any more than putting lipstick on this pig made it a princess. So what does? What does determine whether someone is really American or really Christian or really African or where? Well, it's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? I mean, you just kind of know it when you see it, right? It's they, a lot of it has to do with values, I think. You know, there's there's just there's foundational values and and, and a worldview, a lens through which you see the world that's different than other people. And the same should be true for Christianity and for Christ's kingdom, which is such an upside-down kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've been in this series on the king and his kingdom. Uh, we've been saying how our point in this series is to, to see, as we did week one, that the kingdom is actually a theme that's woven throughout all of Scripture, right up into the Gospels and through them. And we're aiming to develop a kingdom mindset through this. And we're going to explain more in depth this week and in the weeks to come what that looks like. Because so far we just kind of talked about how, what a big deal kingdom is in scripture. And then last week we talked about how Christ the king took his throne. And the evidence that we have for that. And if that would be something you'd be interested in hearing and you didn't hear it last week, you can always check the messages out on cypressstreet.org. The story that was just read for us has always been an intriguing story to me. I think it's a powerful story. I don't get it all to this day. I'm not sure that anyone gets it all. It's one of those passages where it just feels like uh, the translators were kind of like, whoa, <laughs> how do we translate some of this? And we just kind of do it literally. And there's a lot of historical context that um, you know, we might be kind of unsure about. But there's something about the passage of this interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus that just seems to make the Gospels that much more real and uh, well, just more real to me, I think. I don't know if we fully grasp what a big deal John the Baptist was. 
to early Christians, not just to the Jewish people of that day that Jesus was talking to. I mean, have you ever noticed that every one of our four Gospels starts with John the Baptist? At least as soon as they get done with, if they talk about the birth of Jesus, then they move right into John the Baptist. Clearly, he was an important part of the story. In fact, Jesus, in that passage we just read, said that there was no one born of woman who was greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big statement. And here we see that John is in prison. He's been locked up for saying bad things about Herod, who was the king of the Jews at the time. He's locked up in prison and he's awaiting an unlikely release or a more likely sword to drop. And in that moment it appears that he was having some doubts. It said in that passage we just read that when he heard what Jesus was doing he sent some of his followers, his disciples to go talk to Jesus. So he had heard what Jesus was up to and in his current state there in prison it wasn't all adding up for John one way or another. We don't know all the details of how he felt obviously or what all was going through his mind but it seems obvious that there were some doubts there. And he sends them with this question. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? I think that the question was kind of like, are you going to get with the program anytime soon here, Jesus? from what I hear you're just wandering around from town to town and you're talking to people about the kingdom and you're preaching about the kingdom but you're not doing anything about the kingdom from what I can tell I mean you're, who have you, what, I mean, you're not even hanging out with the people that have the power to do something about it you're hanging out with the, you know, the lowly people the sinners, the outcasts and the, the other side, the Roman tax collectors and the, what's going on Jesus I'm sitting here rotten in prison. <laughs> I'm your main man. I'm the guy that went forward. I mean, I think John's disciples, probably Jesus' disciples, many of whom had started out as John's disciples, were all wondering, okay, if, if this is supposed to be the king, why isn't he doing king stuff? If this is supposed to be the king, why isn't he doing something about John rotten in prison? I mean, if anyone deserves a rescue mission, it's John. And so here John says, Jesus, when are you going to get with the program? I mean, if you're the king, when's it going to start looking like it? Jesus' answer seems to be, this is the program. This is what it looks like. This is what the kingdom agenda is. And here's the answer he sends back. It's like he's saying, remind John what the prophets said it would look like when God came to reign. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Not to the rich, not to the powerful, not to the kings, 
not to the leaders, to the poor. This is the program, John. Hmm. And he said in there as well that blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me. Or in other words, blessed are those who don't give up when they see this is what the kingdom is going to look like. When they realize that the kingdom doesn't look anything like what they thought it was going to look like. Because all of John's followers, all of Jesus' followers, and everyone who had hopes that Jesus might be the king they had been waiting on, they had a certain idea of what that was supposed to look like. They had a framework in mind. Overthrowing Rome. Establishing them as an independent nation. God's nation. Establishing God's reign on earth. They had the picture of what it was going to look like. And Jesus said, this is the program. What I'm doing is what it's going to look like. And blessed are you if you don't fall away on account of that. Blessed are you if you don't fall away because I'm not the kind of king you thought I was going to be. He said something else interesting in there as well that I didn't really know what in the world exactly he was talking about and I came across some interesting historical background on this this week and you, some of you may already know this but uh, what did you go out into the desert to see Jesus said a, re- a reed swayed by the wind to which we think well that's odd why would anyone go out to watch a reed sway by the wind right <laughs> but he's talking about why did you go see John the Baptist and one thing that I found out interesting this week is that uh, the, the, the king of the Jews at that time, Herod Antipas, his symbol was a reed swayed by the wind, at least at one point. That's what he would print on his coins. Uh, now these coins, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on, but they told me that this was a reed swayed by the wind, so I'm kind of taking their word for it. I guess it turns out there aren't many mint condition coins left from 2,000 years ago. So this is what we have to work with. But So Herod, Jesus was being pretty clever here, really. He didn't come out and say, did you go out to see another Herod? Another king like that? He said, he used the symbol that Herod himself chose. Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? Did you go out to see someone dressed in king's clothing, he said. Or did you go out to see something different? Did you go out because maybe you hoped for a different kind of king? And of course, the people in their heads would have been thinking, no, we don't need another one like Herod. We've had our fill of corrupt kings. We want God to reign. We went out to see John the Baptist because we hoped that maybe God was going to do something in our day. Jesus is saying, well, he is doing something in your day and the kingdom has come near the world has their way of doing kings and kingdoms I have my way of doing kings and kingdoms and they're completely upside down from one another if you take the values 
of this kingdom that we're used to in this world, the way people do things here, flip them completely upside down and you'll just automatically be pretty close to the way my kingdom works. And likewise, if you take the values that I'm going to tell you are in my kingdom and you flip those upside down, you're pretty close to where the world is. Just completely different perspectives and way of looking at life and values. But see, a lot of people then, and a lot of people and Christians now, we want to fit Jesus into our framework of what we think kingdoms ought to look like. I mean, the, those people then, right, they, they wanted Jesus to fit into their perspective of what a kingdom looked like. How are we any different? In a lot of ways, as we're going to see, our world, you know, we want, we want Jesus, but then we still want to operate the way that we always operated, with the same values that we always operated with. Why don't we talk about some of those values? What I want to do, this is, these are not all-inclusive lists. These are just seven values of the world and seven values of Christ's kingdom. So isn't it, like I said, I mean, you could come up with more. These are, I figured seven was a solid number. Holy number, right? Seven days in a week, it's just a good number. So we're going with seven. Values of this world's kingdoms. We're all about us, we're not about you. Or it's all about me, me, me. We care about others to the extent that they are celebrities or power brokers or people that can do something for us. What can you do for me? If you can't do something for me or I don't think you're amazing, then I'm probably not going to give you the time of day. We invest in the things that we believe will enrich our lives, don't we? The list of things that we need continually grows because... We're always looking for something that's going to enrich our lives. We study self-help guides or blogs or Pinterest or whatever you're doing so that you can make a better life for yourself. We're on a search for pleasure. That's huge. I think there's few idols more alive and well today than pleasure. However and wherever and whenever we can find it. We look for it in all different kinds of places. Some people live the party lifestyle and we look down on them, but then we're doing something different to find pleasure and chasing after that. The value of this world's kingdom says, hey, we're just here for a little while, we better enjoy it. We save and we spend to get what's ours. And we ignore the needs of others because we have enough needs of our own to deal with without worrying about other people's needs on top of that. This is just in general how the world that we live in operates on the whole. Wouldn't you agree? There's a, I mean, we could add to that list, but it's a place to start. Well, the king's kingdom flips all that upside down. It's completely different. 
I've printed the list uh, as well on the back of your cards this week. I want you to keep that around for a while. I think these are values that it would be worthwhile for our church to take on as well and to look to as things that we would want to value. Some of them I think we already do value as a church. Some of them, probably all of them, as individually and as a church, we could grow in more. So, here they are. Jesus is the subject in Christ's kingdom, not us or our church. So, in other words, in Christ's kingdom... We say, instead of it's all about me, we say it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and it's about people. We care deeply about people no matter who they are. They don't have to be a celebrity. They don't have to. In fact, God seems to think that they're... I mean, look at Jesus' ministry. It's not that he never talked to the people who were high and mighty in that day. But he seemed extra concerned for the people who least expected him to be ultra-concerned about them. And so in Christ's kingdom, we care about people no matter who they are. We invest in kids, because kids are important to Jesus, and because we can see. We know, we can just look around. If, if children don't find out about Jesus... Many of them grow up to be hardened adults, hardened against the gospel. So we care about kids. In Christ's kingdom, we study scripture, God's word, so that we can live God's way. Instead of trying to figure it out on our own and and figure out how we can do self-help and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and all that good stuff, we study scripture and we rely on his spirit to live God's way. In Christ's kingdom, we're on a mission to see God's kingdom growing here and everywhere. Not a mission to see how much pleasure we can get out of life, but on how much we can do for others and for God's kingdom. We do generosity joyfully because God has been so generous to us. Instead of saving and spending to get what's ours. And we serve those in need because that's how we serve Jesus. Instead of only worrying about our own needs, we look to the needs of others as well. Do you see how those are upside down from each other? And this is why Jesus all the time was saying things like, You know, guys, you can't have it both ways. You can't serve both God and money, God and this world. It doesn't work that way. It's because the values of his kingdom and the values of this world's kingdom, they don't go to, it's like oil and water. You can't do it both ways. I mean, how could you? How can you be all about me and also be about Jesus and others? How can you be you know, all about trying to figure it out for yourself or to run after pleasure, but then also trying to rely on God's way of life and trying to further His kingdom? 
How can you be all about money and all about non-material things? The world has its value system and God's kingdom has his value system. And the thing is, we're all, we believe that we're all born into this worldly kingdom with the worldly values right there ready, <laughs> instilled in us from the start. We all see the world every day. We see it on TV. We see it in the billboards. We see it everywhere we go. We see it in our co-workers and in our family. It's ever-present. And so becoming a citizen of Christ's kingdom means a change. If his values are completely upside down from our world's values, that means that we have to turn our life upside down being a citizen of an upside down kingdom means turning your life upside down and it's not easy now you, you'll run into some people who especially when they first come to Christ the Holy Spirit helps them make some drastic changes right away in their life and that's awesome and the Holy Spirit does that but there's also a part of this thing that's a journey, isn't it? Just like the Kreitzers spent 30 years in Africa before they felt kind of out of place here, you know. We have to purposely spend time in God's Word. We have to purposely f- spend time with God's people trying to figure this thing out together for these values to take root and for us to be able to begin looking like citizens of an upside-down kingdom. There's a part in the famous, often quoted, often memorized Lord's Prayer that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that means? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could part of it mean that we're to pray, God, let your kingdom come now in my life. If, if heaven's a place where you are worshipped, where it's all about you, God, then help me to be a person of worship. Now. Right here on earth. Your kingdom come in me, God. And if what your kingdom looks like is setting things right, like Jesus described there when he said, tell John what you see. The blind are are receiving sight. It's being set right. The lepers, their skin is clean again been set right good news is being preached to the poor this is what the kingdom looks like then God if that's what the kingdom looks like then let your kingdom come here and now and let your church here and now show people what it looks like and offer them the hope of a kingdom where things get set right Lord, may your kingdom come 
now on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done. I want us as we close this message to reflect on that. And in a moment we're going to read that Lord's Prayer all together. And I'll have you stand when we do that. But just want to encourage you and challenge you now as we head to a time of response. We, we want to give you time each week now to just have some time to pray. And so like for instance today we're going to just play some instrumental music and just give you some space where there's nothing going to be on the screen that you need to be singing or thinking about and just spend a minute with God. And maybe you can talk to God about whether you'd be willing to surrender some of the things, some of the values in your life right now that you hold dear. Things that, you know, maybe as we were looking through those lists up there, you thought, yeah, I struggle with that one. Yeah, I still have a lot of those values of this kingdom that need to be gotten rid of and some of those values of God's kingdom that I need to take on. And just spend some time praying to God about those and what those are. Look through that list that you've got on the back of your paper and pray through that. And we're going to have folks down here on your left that are just sitting on this front pew. And if you'd like to spend some time praying with them because, hey, I mean, you can pray where you're at and you can pray at an altar. You can pray anywhere you are and go this week. But here's a chance for you to pray with a fellow believer who cares if you'd like to do that today. And we also have rooms on each side that uh, if you want to go somewhere a little more private, they'll go with you and pray with you there. Whatever, whatever you'd prefer. But take this time, whether it's with one of our response team members or by yourself, to reflect on the values of God's kingdom and to ask Him to do some work in your heart and your life today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom. It defies the wisdom of this world. It's completely different, and yet we find, God, as we strive to live out the values of your kingdom, that it is indeed a better way of life. And our life is richer, fuller, for having lived it according to your values. So help us by your spirit to do just that. Help us to be your church. That when people see us, they see people who are operating on a whole different perspective than they have ever thought of from before. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.